Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 516 for December 21st, 2017. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth, installment 46 of X. Are we going to have fun today, Bart? Well, I hope so. Um, I, I think we will. Um, yeah, let's let's figure out what happens. Um, yeah, there you go. Well, I had some fun with uh, Dorothy and I worked on our homework together last night, a little bit last minute, but I think we got the uh, I think we got the hang of it. I think we we see what's going on. Okay, well that that's all we can ask for. Um, I actually want to start the show by going back to the my sample solution, not to this set of homework, but to the previous set of homework, because a certain Dorothy popped me a wee email to say, uh, Bart, wouldn't this be the perfect example of where you might want to um, use a, um, a variadic arguments? The, uh, the, 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 oh, the one have... where you say args dot dot dot, or you put, you put the variable dot dot dot, and it says that means you're going to have a bunch of them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the other way around. It's dot, 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 args. Oh, so, right. And I was like, you know something? You're absolutely right, Dorothy. So I have updated my solution. So there is now a PBS44 challenge solution V2 <laughs> available on GitHub. And I have in the show notes the um, basically the, the function in question. So the function is from the test suite. It's called dummy basic types accept. And in my version of the code, it just, you know, it has nothing in the parentheses when it's creating the function on, on the first line of the snippet. And then it loops through with a standard for loop arguments. So for let i equals zero, i is less than arguments at length i plus plus. So that's basically exactly what I said you don't have to do anymore. <laughs> because looking at that function signature, it actually isn't obvious what the function does because it says dummy basic types accept. Oh, and it takes no arguments. But it does take arguments, so it's, it's, it's not obvious, it's not good. So the variadic arguments make things much better because they allow me to use a for each loop instead of a dumb old-fashioned for loop. And it allows me to make the function self-documenting by making it much clearer from the signature what the function actually does. So the rewritten code is function dummy basic types except dot 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 exclude types. And then I can say exclude types dot for each. That's a much, yeah. much neater piece of code. That is readable. You know, she was showing me that last night, and I was like, well, that's not the way Bart did it, so it can't be right. And she didn't tell me that she had written to you and told, suggested No, because I did reply back to her email saying, oh, yeah, thanks very much. You're absolutely completely correct. Well, that's really cool, because I, I think what's fun about this is we're all learning, but maybe some of us learning more than others. You know, it's, it, I, I like it's a good sign when listeners are sending me corrections to my sample solution. That That, that is an extremely positive sign. Um when I used to teach at university, I got very, very, very worried when I never got a correction from my students in a tutorial. That meant <laughs> I had none of them along for the ride. <laughs> well, I actually caught a tiny one. I mean, it doesn't okay. count. You don't need to open it up. But remember, we talked about yesterday, there was a, uh, it was like a an, an index that you said started at zero and it, it should have mm. been one or one and it should have been zero. I forget which, but I I was chuffed when you said that shows you understand. Yes, exactly. That was a typo in the show notes, which has indeed since been fixed. Nice. Well, that's cool. I so, like I like to see that because the variadic argument sounded like a swell thing, but we hadn't seen him in in uh, used in anger yet. Yeah. So there we go. One one angry example. Um, <laughs> so that takes us then to my sample solution to the actual challenge for this time, which is forty five. So again, published on GitHub as a named release, so you could download the code. LinkedIn show notes. Um, for the most part, um, 
it was really uh, the, the the thing that was that, that happened most often within within the homework was changing string concatenation into our very pleasant and very pleasing template literals. I liked so those. Had, those were fun. Yeah. And so you can see in the example I chose for the show notes, we have you know the string angle bracket concatenated with the variable t concatenated with the string close angle bracket open angle bracket slash concatenated with the string t concatenated with well, that's just horrible <laughs> whereas you know when you write it out as back take angle bracket dollar squarely t squarely you know it, it just looks you can read it it's like oh this is an opening and a closing tag and dollar t is going to be whatever the tag is I yeah mean, it's just so much easier yeah i like it yeah um, and then I did also find a nice example to pop into the show notes of a for of loop. Um, in this case, the function, I think I only found one actually, which is in the function generation change. And so this function's job is depending on whether or not you pass it arguments to either add a callback that will be executed whenever the generation changes or execute all of the callbacks that have been added previously. So if you pass it an argument, it adds an extra callback. If you don't pass it an argument, it executes all the callbacks it has. So obviously the second of those use cases, the second of those things the function can do, sounds loopy. It's like <laughs> execute all of the. That, that sounds loopy. Okay. Uh, and so in the original code, it was indeed a loopy, but it was a plain old traditional for loop, let i equal zero, i is less than this dot underscore generation change dot length i plus plus. Right. This dot underscore underscore generation change open square brackets i close square brackets and then execute it as a function by shoving some parens after it so it executes everything in that array assuming it is a function which is of course what it should be because we have the code to ensure that above right so that is fairly chunky code so it's actually much clearer as a for of loop so we can say for const gen change callback of this dot underscore generation change Gen change callback, open friends, close friends. Yeah, and I got there eventually. That one I had to have you help me. You had to help me with, that's for sure. These loops, these like, the, the original loops took a lot of practice to get get your head around and to, to get comfortable with and to get to the point where you can just bang out a for loop without thinking about it. Right. Well, the same is going to be true of the for ofs and the for ins. And because for of and for in are similar and yet spectacularly different to each other, it's probably even twice as much so because a while loop and a for loop are different enough that you're unlikely to get confused. But for of and for in, that just takes a little bit of repetition for that one to sink in. I, I still, from time to time, if I've been writing in Perl for a few weeks and then I have to go back to JavaScript, I have to go back to the docs and check whether I want of or in. Yeah, so on the side, when Dorothy and I got confused between for of and for in, um, you sent us a really good explanation of when to do which, and it had to do with the fact that one of the examples was sorted, and the example in the show notes was not sorted, and uh, were we going to walk through that at all? Because that was something I, had you already told us that? I well, I think I had, because <laughs> at the end of the day, right, a for of, a for in, a for in loop iterates over the keys. So the, the name part of the name value pairs. Okay, the values, so you, right? Not the values, no. no. Not the values. A for in iterates over the keys, the, okay. not the values. A for of iterates over the values. That's why a for of applies to an array. An array contains only values. Okay. And for in does 
the keys, but the difference between the two examples, the one in the show notes and the one in the homework, uh, one of them was sorted. The one in the homework was sorted. And you said that told us whether to use for in or for of, but I don't know why. Okay, because when you do an object.keys or when you do a for in loop, JavaScript makes you no promises about order. They will come out in whatever order they happen to be shoved into RAM. Okay. So it was completely random what order they will come out in. If you care about order, you cannot use object.keys on its own, and you cannot use a for in loop because for in loop promises no order and you wanted order. So then you're forced to do something different, and the something different is you use object.keys to give you an array of keys, then you use the sort function to sort those keys, and then you plow through those keys using either of any for loop of your choosing, really. So a for of will do the trick there nicely. But you can't. But the reason is in. you've converted it to an array of keys because you needed them sorted. It's the fact that you needed a sorted list. So you've ended up with a list. You, you may have started with an object, but you've ended up with a sorted list to go through. But you can't use a for of or a for in on, on uh, a sorted list. One of them didn't work. And it, we've said so many, I don't remember which one didn't work. Okay, so for of goes through an array in order. For in goes through the keys in an object, not in order, not in any defined order you can ascertain. So you said for of was in any order. Otherwise, no, no, for as- of is for an array. So it goes from the start of the array to the end of the array. So for of is ordered, for in is not, object.keys is not. Wow. I have, uh, I yes, <laughs> I agree because I saw it not work when I did it the other way around, but I don't have any good sense of a way to remember this other than look it up every single time. Or watch your code not do what you think, and then you'll remember it by doing Maybe, but it also, so when I'm going back through and looking at the homework and changing them, uh, I, I asked you in a reply to that email, but I've answered my own question now is what was an, what is an example of something that wouldn't work, not in sort order and specifically the kind of thing we're doing where the, what happens in one cell affects the next cell. So you can't just jump around and change cells. The generation change can't be flying all over the place. It's got to be, you got to do this one, then look at the one next to it and the one next to it. I guess. Um, It's just, you know, sometimes when you're solving a real world, you know, I mean, what your code should look like depends on the problem you're trying to solve. And in some problems, you just care that something happens to everything. And in some problems, you need to do something in a certain order. And so depending on the problem you're solving, you're going to pick up the appropriate tool. Do we need a hammer or a screwdriver? Yeah, I know. But I'm trying to (laughs) you already know which one's a nail and which one's a flathead screw. I don't know which one's a nail and which one's a flathead screw. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how do I know that there are nails and flatheaded screws? What is the difference between them? How do I ident- identify them? Uh, or TFM in practice? I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. I mean, is there a... Um, I, I guess I'll go read the documentation again because I, I just didn't... I definitely did not catch that there was a subtlety of when to use for of and for in that had to do with sorted lists. It sounds like there's more to it than just the fact that it was sorted. Well, I mean, they do completely different things. One of them is for iterating over keys. One of them is for iterating over values. It just so happens that one of them preserves order and one of them doesn't. If you want to go through something in order, you have to turn it into an array and go through it as an array. If you're going through an array, it's a for of. If you're going through an object, it's a for in. Okay. Okay, if you want to sort, (laughs) turn it into an array and use a for of. True yeah, because once you have an array, it's right. So, just, just okay. Yes or no? The, e- the easy mnemonic is the other way around. 
if it's an array, it's a for of. Right, that's an easy statement with no no caveats. There's no but there. That is just a flat out statement that has no qualifications. If it's an array, it's a for of. So that's the easy one. Then you get back to objects. Do I care about Arrays the order objects, I go through? They? they are. So the, objects in the traditional sense, as in the name value pair sense. So do I care what order I go through the keys? If I don't care about the order of the keys, it's a for in. If I do care about the order of the keys, I have to pull the keys out, sort them, at which point they are an array. So therefore, I follow my rule, an array is a for of. Okay. My, my mnemonic is, I, I remember I really, what an really array is, and then the rest, falls, the rest falls out of it. I thought I had it, and I said it, and I really wanted to know yes or no, and now I don't Okay, know. well, have a... Sorry, I, I have a, I should tell the audience I have a nasty head cold, so I am firing on half cylinders today, so I, okay. th- this well, is not I, helpful. I won't ask as many questions then. No, 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 do, do. But just saying my my amount of effort, to, the, to the amount clear. of stuttering I have to do between starting and finishing a thought may be more than usual. Okay, well, work on yes or no. When I say something, yes or no, and then stop, and then I, it, it will help me. Uh, okay. If we want something sorted, when you sort it, that makes it into an array. And since it's an array, then you can do a for of because for of goes with the values in an array. Exactly. Okay. Yes. And then, that's it, that's and then if you've got keys that you need to go th- through in order, then you need to sort them, which turns them into an array, in which case you can do a for of. But otherwise, if you just don't care, you're going to go willy nilly through these keys, then you use for in. Exactly. Okay. Daria yes, to get that, me to say that tomorrow. <laughs> but at this instant in time, the pennies dropped. Okay, good. Well, practice will make perfect, right? Now, last week, we covered arrays and strings. And it turns out, I was supposed to cover three things about arrays, and I actually only covered two. So before I start on what I had planned to be today's new topics, I need to rewind a little bit and tell you there's one more cool, things about, one more cool thing about arrays I forgot to tell you about. And that is a new operator. It's called the spread operator. And you've sort of seen it already because it's actually used for variadic arguments. It's three periods. Yeah. And what three periods effectively does is it explodes an array apart. So let us imagine that you have an array which contains some elements. And you have a second array, which contains some elements, and you want to add all of the elements in the first array into the second array. So you start off, say, with an array. So in the code example, we have const first array equals boogers comma snot. So we have a two element array. Mm -hmm. Const second array equals bogies. If I wanted to add everything in the first array into the second array, based on what we know to date, I would have to do that as a loop of some sort. I could do it as a for loop, a while loop, In this case, I did it as a for each loop. Mm -hmm. The point being, I have to manually loop through the first array and push each one into the second array. And then when I console.log it, I get the expected output. Okay. With the spread operator, I don't have to do that anymore now. Without the spread operator, if I tried to just put one array into the other, it wouldn't... It wouldn't put one array into the other in the in the way we want. It would make a sort of a pseudo 2D array. So if you just say second array equals open square bracket bogies comma first array close square bracket, you end up with second array having two entries, a right. string and an array. 
right, which is right. not what you want. But if you explode first array with the spread operator, you do get what you want. The spread operator basically says, turn these into individual values. Oh, that's kind of slick. Yep. So you see that in the final code, const second array equals bogeys, comma, dot, 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 first array. And then when you print the output, you see it has concatenated them properly. So you have one array stuck into the end of another array properly. Oh, that one makes Uh, complete sense, Bart. I'm not lost at all. Good. It's a really fun operator. It has a very interesting common use, cloning arrays. Hmm. So we know that an array is an object, as you just reminded me a few minutes ago. (laughs) Which means that if I have const first array equals something, if I then say const second array equals first array, I do not have two arrays. Let me guess. I have, you have an instance of the first array. No, you have two references, which both point to one array. Oh, they do. Oh. Okay. So that means that if I were to say const first array equals boogers snot, const second array equals first array, and then I go second array dot push bogies. When I console.log them, bogeys has been added to both because actually there isn't two, there's only one. Mm, okay. So if I want to clone, I used to have to do that with a loop. I would have to say const second array equals empty array, first array dot for each, and then push each element into the second array. And then I get my clone. So then I can say second array dot push bogeys, and I don't mess with the first array. But that's icky. I have to pretty well looped through come on to get animal (laughs) i can use the spread operator to just clone the array so i can just say const second array equals open square bracket dot 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 first array close square bracket that's it that's it i have now cloned my array huh that's pretty because i've exploded it out and copied over the values Hmm. that's swell that is extremely swell so that's the bit I forgot to do last week. So now let's move into the first of our two topics I had intended to do this time. So I promised you last time an end to this absolute nonsense of const self equals this. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the solution to that is a whole new type of function that didn't exist before ES6. It's known, depending on which source you read, as an arrow function or perhaps a little bit less PC, a fat arrow function. Hmm. The reason it's called a fat arrow is because it's equals angle bracket, not minus angle bracket. So a lot of people would call <laughs> oh, a minus a angle arrow. bracket arrow, okay. and therefore equals angle bracket, some people describe as a fat arrow. You know, there but was I'm, a cultural time where fat was in, was uh, showed wealth and, and, uh, and prosperity, so we'll go with that. That is true. And when I was a kid, there was a really popular TV show called Thomas the Tank Engine. And one of the main characters, their only name, they didn't have any other name in the, in the thing, was the Fat Controller. Oh, yeah. It was perfectly normal, you know. I like Thomas um, just the like Tank Engine. Noddy had friends who were gollywogs, you know, perfectly normal. It's like, you know, you can't show the stuff I watched as a kid in the 80s to a kid today because they'll go into school and they'll get expelled. Well, you can't show what they showed me in the 50s either. <laughs> That's for oh, good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So I'm going to use the word arrow functions because that's what Mozilla use on the MSDN site, and mm. that is my favorite documentation site, so I'm just going to be consistent with them. And it sounds a bit less non-PC. Okay. So in a normal function, every function gets two special variables created within it that are its own. It gets an arguments object, which captures all the arguments of that function, 
and it gets its own unique and special this. Which means that if you define a callback within a function, the callback has its own separate this. So the this inside the callback is not the same as the this inside the function. Therefore, you have to do var self equals this, yada, yada, yada. An arrow function does have its own arguments object. It does not get its own this. It, in, it just steals the this from the function it's within. So it reaches up to its outer to its containing function and says, I'll have your this. Hmm. And that really is so in terms of how it works, that's the only difference. The other massive, massive difference is the syntax. So in terms of functionality, the only difference is it takes the this from its containing function. It has its own arguments, but it takes the this from the containing function. In terms of its syntax, it's completely different. The word function doesn't enter into it anywhere. It is open roundy bracket, optionally a list of arguments, equals greater than, open squarely, all of your code, close squarely. Okay. So it's basically an argument list, arrow, the code. Okay. So let us take as an example, artificer.ca.automaton.prototype.start. This is a function which on line 14 very clearly has our stupid const self equals this nonsense. Then it defines, it creates a variable const auto step fn equals function, blah, blah, blah. So it creates an anonymous function, shoves a reference to it into the variable auto step fn. And inside that function, it needs access to start this. So it has to say self dot underscore auto step id, self dot step self.autostep underscore id. So that's a bit confusing because all of a sudden we have selfs instead of thises. Right. Even though that self really is this, but it reads really weird because this.step on line 11 is exactly the same as line 18, but it doesn't look the same. Huh. Right? Because we've had to wrap it because it's inside another function, so it has its own separate this, so we can't use this. Oh, but we've that's created Okay. So we've created a self and because there's no self-defined inside the inner function, it reaches out to the containing scope and takes it from there, and hence we have our indirect access to the outer this. All right. Some people say const that equals this. Some people say const self equals this. The point is you have to do this city wrapper. Okay. We can replace that with an arrow function. So our new line 14... Oh, why is that not highlighted? I'll have to fix that. Uh, oh, and I also spotted the typo I have to fix. Uh, there's a self that's snuck in there. Um, so line 14 should also be highlighted and it should say const auto step fn equals and then we have our arrow function, our argument list. Well, the original function had no arguments, so our argument list is empty. Arrow, wait, wait, the uh, code. Hang on. I, I, I've scribbled down 14 highlight to tell you afterwards so you don't forget and the word typo because I, I don't see the typo, but now I don't know where we are. One more time. We're on a new okay, line so 14, but 14 is a comment or maybe it's not. Okay, so and then on the code sample below, the after rather than the before, the after line 14 says const auto step fn equals. For some reason, they've gotten all out of alignment. That's very odd. The 14 is halfway between the comment and the line below it when I'm looking at it. Well, that's, that's very weird. strange. Okay, so I'm looking for const auto step function equals. And then instead of saying function, it says open close parens arrow squarely. 
So the open close parens is the argument. Arrow the argument means list. I am an arrow function. And then inside the squarely is the code. So in above earlier, you said it would be square brackets and then... Uh, no, no, no. Okay, so square brackets, brackets is, is coding language for optional. So the argument list is optional. Oh. Like you see in oh. the terminal everywhere, okay. square brackets means optional. That was me trying to use standard computery syntax to make things clear. Okay. That seems to have backfired completely. Yeah, I, w- I would maybe take those out. <laughs> I'll have to you, say, well, argu- well, if I don't put them in, it means the argument list has just become compulsory. Um, I'll have mm. to have a think about that. I think in the English I say optional, but uh, maybe if I stick a question mark in, it's the other way that's done, but then that, I hope no one thinks you should type oh, a question mark. I would mark. probably type a question mark, but may, maybe we'll start picking it up. Okay, let's uh, keep going. Okay, so we've got constant auto step function equals. We got our empty arguments list where normally it would have said function and then just open close so, yeah. the, the roundy, whatever you call the parentheses. The way I think of it is you take the word function, you replace it with an arrow function, and you swap it around you mirror it to the other side of the argument list <laughs> that's how i think of it and when you're up when you're doing your homework you're going to do that a lot double click to select the word function hit backspace left left minus angle bracket you're going to do that hundreds yeah. of times okay good because there's a lot of callbacks in our test suite okay. a lot of callbacks in our test suite i just did the homework for next week earlier to make sure it was doable <laughs> um and line 20 by the way if you want to take a note is where my typo is okay it's at the end, at the very end of the line itself, self.autostep interval. Okay. Which should say this, because now we're in an arrow function. We get to have the this from outside, so we don't have, no, no more self. The line const self equals this has been completely deleted. It's gone. There's no need for a self anymore because the arrow function just uses, starts this. So the arrow function with the squirrely brackets just sort of says, okay, we, now we can just do whatever we want in here, even though it's a callback because it's inside of another function. I say that right, right, so it is a function, right? So you are yeah. creating a function, but that function inherits this from start. From start. Because start is the function that it's inside. So if you, if you, oh, so line okay. 14 is inside the function start, therefore it gets starts this. It's not its own this. It starts Bingo. this. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Whereas if you say function, open brackets, you get your own this, because that's what oh, the word right, function right. does. Okay. Right. So if you don't see the word function, there's no new this. You okay. take the this from whatever you're inside. So you basically look up until you find the nearest function, and that's whose this you have. Okay. So if you had an arrow function inside an arrow function, you'd have to keep going until you find a real function, and that's whose this you would have. Okay, so you do still have the real functions. You absolutely do. So okay. when you don't want your when having your own this is a problem, is a bug, not a feature, you use an arrow function. And when it's exactly what you want, you use a function function. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So basically, it all depends on how, how you feel about this. <laughs> uh, if you want to be conservative, if you see, if you find yourself typing const self equals this, you need an arrow function. Otherwise, you don't need an arrow function, but you may want an arrow function because it's just so much less typing. Yeah, okay. Makes sense. So that's it. That's all there is to arrow functions. So then we come to the bit that I know Dorothy has been dying to hear because she actually said so in her email to me with my correction to my homework. She said, I really, really want classes because finally JavaScript isn't going to sound so weird. Uh, because pretty much every C-style programming language has 
the keyword class to define what we know as a prototype. And no other C style language uses prototypes. JavaScript is unique and special. So JavaScript looks very much like C when it comes to for loops and this loops and while loops and if statements. It's, it is a C-like language. And then you come to these prototype things and it's just, it's completely left the field. It's completely different to everyone else. And now that we introduce the word class, things become more normal. So for, for people like yourself, you just don't like prototypes because they're confusing. Mm -hmm. People who are coming to this as their second language find them esoteric and confusing. <laughs> A little bit of both, huh? So they're actually even worse for people who already know how to program than they are for you. And I'm already pretty much aware that you do not like prototypes. Well, they do headbend me a bit. So I am going to introduce a very simple prototype, the old-fashioned way, as our illustrative example. So being as you're on this show, I am naming the prototype Booger <laughs> with a capital B, because you name prototypes with a capital. Ah, so function okay. Booger takes one argument, color, spelled the proper way. This that underscore color equals green. If type of color triple equals string, this dot color, ooh, that should be underscore color. Oh. No, no, sorry, that's not, sorry, no, I'm talking oh. rubbish, that's my cold talking. I'm calling the function color with the argument color, that's perfectly correct, which is why the code works. Never why mind. Do you, why do you do that? You make me crazy. This dot color color. Yeah, why? so I'm calling the function named color and I'm passing it the argument color. Why would you call them the same thing? That, see, that's what I really thing. think. No, one is an argument and one is a function. Yes, which is obvious from context. Well, no. In my case, it makes the context impossible because I can't tell what's what. So we've got function booger with an argument called color. And then you mm -hmm. say this, which is calling the function dot color with an argument right. of color. So, so this dot means the color function that belongs to this. Color on its own means the argument. This dot color is as different to color as Alison Sheridan is to just... To, as an apple is to an orange, they're completely separate things. This dot color and color are completely different things, right? The Maybe a good analogy would be an orange is orange. And out of context, you know which one you're talking about? I, well, yeah, but in this case, right, this dot color is a unit. It's a single solitary thing. This dot color isn't two things. It's this dot color. Yeah, so it's if you just think using of the this same name color for two as different things, that's I'd... wrong. Well, no, no, I didn't say that. I'm trying to figure out the difference between color and color. I just would name them, diff I would call it booger color or something. I, one of them, I would call it something different so I could figure out which one was which. Things in parentheses are arguments. I'm, I'm with you there, so I got to assume the other thing is the function. I, I, don't, I will never it, talk you out of this, so I should stop arguing about it because you like to do it this way, but it makes it way harder for me to follow. But it's it's really important it's done this way, though. Otherwise, the, the, the prototypes make no sense. Well, no, 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 no. You could call your argument booger color. You could absolutely call it something okay, different. Okay, I could rename the argument. it would work. Yes. It would work I, I, perfectly. You're right. I could rename the argument. But I definitely don't want to rename the function. No, I didn't tell you to. But okay, okay, no, that's fine. Then, then, we're, then we're in agreement. Okay. I could. <laughs> you're not going to, but you could. That's good. <laughs> I might. Th I, I might. I might. I might. Probably well, we'll not, see. Realistically <laughs> speaking, that's just a habit that just falls out of my fingers, to be honest. Yeah, so it, it, I can just see us. We're going to be on PBS episode 237. <laughs> Bar, why are you calling the function and the, the argument the same name? Or 
you end up writing code that does exactly the same thing too. No, no, never. Okay. It'll be very interesting to see which of those things happens, because realistically, one of those two things will happen. I think I'm taking advantage of your cold messing with you now. <laughs> Possibly. Anyway, so we, right. d- we have our constructor, and in the old-fashioned way, the constructor has, is a function with the same name as the prototype, so function booger with the capital B. That is our constructor for the booger prototype. Then we add an instance method named color, which is an accessor for getting or setting the color of the booger. And then we add a two-string function for turning the booger into a string. And then we have a static function, which just returns a bunch of synonyms for boogers. So the static function is a property of the prototypes, so it's booger.synonyms, whereas the instance functions are booger.prototype.color, booger.prototype.toString. And so this is what we have over and over again in our cellular automata, in our time, in our world clock. We've sort of seen this pattern a few times. One of the first things I would say you notice is if you have 10 of these prototypes in a single file, it's really hard to tell where one starts and one finishes because they're not in, there's no set of squirrelies that says, I am now starting a prototype and it's going to continue until the squirrely closes. Yeah, yeah. It's just super annoying because everything else is contained. Where does this if loop start and end? Or this if statement start and end? Well, with the squirrelies. Where does this for loop start and end with the squirrelies? Everything else is contained in these prototypes. And you could entirely validly mix them all together and add a function to one prototype and then add a function to another prototype. I mean, there is no containment. And that's the first thing that everyone else in every other language is used to, that a definition of a class is self-contained. You start defining a class and then you end defining a class. And, you know, there's a squirrely bracket that starts it and a squirrely bracket that ends it. So when you're trying to say, what is part of this class and what is not? It's obvious. That is not true with JavaScript prototypes. Okay. So We're to prove that our prototype now? works, we have some <laughs> sample code. Okay. Let my bugger equals new bugger yellow. Console.log my string. Then we can change the color. So we can say my bugger.color yellowy green. And then we can console.log again my string. And then we can say console.log there are bugger.synonyms.length synonyms for bugger. And that prints out a yellow booger, a yellowy green booger. There are three synonyms for booger. All right. Not very exciting, but again, it just shows oh, that we have. And you did your old concatenation tooth. method there. I know. Okay. Um. Yeah. That's okay. Actually, no. In this code, I could have done it too. I sometimes I don't write these show notes in order, and sometimes I forget oh. what I've told you. Oh wow. Oh, that's interesting. By the way, it did take me a really long time to remember and then notice that they were those backticks you kept telling me to pay attention to. I could not get those strings to work at all with regular quotes. Yeah, strange. Funny how that works. I actually had to go look up the documentation and go, oh, I do remember him saying backtick two weeks ago. The danger of doing my homework the night before it's due. (laughs) That is true. So now we have the ES6 class version of the same booger. So we use the keyword class to say, I am creating a class. And then we give it a name. Class space booger. Open squirrelly. Capital B. Because again, what is created is identical. So our booger will behave exactly the same way. What is changing is how we describe it to the browser or Hmm. to Node. Or basically, what's changed is how we describe what we want. But what we get, the actual final product, is indistinguishable. Okay. So someone using our prototype has no idea whether our code used the old-fashioned syntax 
or the newfangled syntax, the result is identical. And that's an important point. So this isn't a change in the functionality of JavaScript. This is a change in how you can, if you choose to, write it. Okay. It's what we call syntactic sugar, but it's very, very sweet sugar. <laughs> and I, I talked over it because I said capital B, but you said class, capital booger, and then open squirrely bracket, close squirrely bracket, and all that glop is all in the middle of it. Exactly. Inside so the basically the squirrely bracket opens on line four and it closes on line 50. That is the start and the end of our class. Of is, our prototype. is everything in the middle the same? It's it close to the same. It's extremely similar, but it's it's shorter. Okay. So the constructor is now named with the keyword constructor. Oh, God bless him. That's so it is now. It just says constructor, open parens, argument list, close parens, and then your code. The code inside is identical. This, that underscore color equals green, type of color, triple equals blah, yeah. right? That's identical. It's just that instead of it being in a function named booger, it's now in the constructor. The constructor is in the constructor. I can Who find you? the constructor now. Okay, so... We need to define our instance function color. So in the previous example, that was right. To define an instance function the old way, you have to be really specific. So you say the name of the prototype dot the word prototype dot the name of the new instance function you want to describe, you want to declare equals function and then the list of arguments. Okay. So that's line 22 in the original. So and I sort of booger, vaguely understood that. <laughs> yeah, it's very explicit, right? It's 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 pretty clear. I am adding a function named color to the prototype booger. I mean, it is Englishy, yeah, but it's pretty verbose. It, yeah, it does get kind of long when it's bartificer dot ca dot dot automaton prototype. <laughs> yeah. Now you just say name of function open parens argument list close parens open squarely bracket. So line twenty three in the new example is replacing line twenty two in the first example. So it just and says inside it code color, is identical. Color parentheses color. So that's a that's an instance of our Funk. class booger. Called it's an color. instance function that belongs to our instance class. Sorry, function. I, I I may not have said the word function, which is my bad. Okay, so it's an instance function that is a a what of class booger. That is a that is an inst that is, it's an instance function belonging to the class booger. So if you say you can say my booger dot color. Oh, okay, okay, got you. So something is an instance function if you can say name of the booger dot name of function. Okay. All so right. If it belongs to a specific booger, it's an instance. And if it belongs to all boogers, like the static functions, then it's a static function. Okay. So do you belong to a booger or to all boogers? <laughs> so a booger has a color. All boogers have synonyms. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So we have a second instance function, which is named toString. And again, just toString parameter list code yeah much much shorter and then we have our static function synonyms which in the old example was name of prototype dot name of function equals function so it was boogers dot synonyms equals function that now simply becomes much more explicit static space name of function and then the argument list and then your code why didn't so they that's really obvious instance? right static synonyms why didn't they use the word instance and they all would have looked the same? So we've got constructor and static, say constructor and static, but the instance just says the function name. Because they are by far the most common. So this is the, making well, it shorter. There's a couple of things. This is the most efficient syntax. Yeah. And static functions are the exception and constructors are the exception. So they're special oh, okay. cases. And this is kind of in keeping with how other languages work. If you say nothing, it's assumed to be an instance function. Okay. 
That so seems it's efficient. Basically, the big, the big criticism was that JavaScript was weird. <laughs> and now it isn't. Okay. I mean, it's not identical syntax to Java or identical syntax to PHP, but it's philosophically excruciatingly similar. So you couldn't just copy and paste some PHP code in and say, ta-da, it's JavaScript now. Okay. No. But if you understand the PHP code, you, you'll, you'll understand the JavaScript code, and we're going to do that journey in reverse in a year or two's time, probably. <laughs> really? Well, we're going to be going from JavaScript to PHP, and we're going to recognize PHP classes instantly because it's going to be the, the actual word class followed by the name of the class, open a squirrely bracket. I mean, it's going to be more dollar signs because PHP loves his dollar signs, but it's going to be recognizable to us. And the logic, the structure is going to be consistent. Okay. So basically, the magic word constructor for defining the constructor, the name of the functions for all of the instance functions, and then the name of the function prefixed with the magic word, not the magic word, the keyword, static for static functions. So it's very it's explicit. Very and I've been using the word static, and you've kind of been wondering, okay, why does he use this word? Well, the answer is because every other language on the planet pretty much uses that word, and now JavaScript does too. Okay, that's cool. And the thing is, if I replace my prototype with this class, and I simply copy and paste my test code, it behaves identically. So this is just because better for us, not for, this is for the use of our code. Well, unless they want to understand what it does. Exactly. Okay. So that is the joy of the class keyword. Now, the class keyword, like the function keyword, can be used in two ways. And when we start using namespaces, we need to use it the other way. So as a reminder, I'm just going to remind you of the two ways you can use the word function, and then it should become obvious what I'm saying. So we can say function, say boogers, empty argument list, open a squirrel bracket, console.log, boogers, three exclamation points, th tongue sticking out. <laughs> right? We can do that. Yes. We have now declared the function, and then we can execute the function by saying, say boogers, open pres, close pres, semicolon. And that outputs boogers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, it does. We can also write const say boogers equals function. Open parens, close parens, open squarely, console.log, boogers. And the result is identical. We can say, we can call say boogers, open close parens, and it outputs boogers, right? Okay. So those two code snippets are identical. They have exactly the same effect. They're just written in two different ways. Right. So one of them has function space name. The other one has name of variable equals function. Yeah, I never understood why there were two of those, but okay. Well, sometimes, well, try, right, try, you cannot use the first syntax to make a namespaced function. You cannot say bartvisor.c, you cannot say function space bartvisor.ca.automaton. Oh, okay. That's a syntax error. So okay. you have to say Bart, bartvisor.ca.automaton equals function. Yeah, okay. And in this case, we're going to say bartvisor.automaton equals class. Basically, just like you can have the function before or after, you can have the class before or after. So as an example, I'm going to make a class named Booger, and I'm going to shove it into a namespace called bartofficer.demo. So we're making bartofficer.demo.booger, which is perhaps analogous in some strange way to bartofficer.ca.automaton, maybe, when it comes to doing your homework. Okay. Wink, wink. Oh, there was a hint. Yeah, there was the least subtle hint on planet Earth. <laughs> 
So using code I pretty much copied and pasted from bartifisser.ca.js, we create our namespace for bartifisser equals bartifisser question mark bartifisser colon mark squirrely squirrely. Uh, we can use an arrow function to slightly shorten the self-executing anonymous function. Okay. So instead of saying function open parens bartifisser comma undefined, we can say open parens the arguments arrow and then the code. So remember, it's like deleting the word function and mirroring the arrow on the opposite side. Oh, right. So that saves us a few characters. Yeah, whatever. It's not all that exciting. Uh, we make our sub namespace bartfizzer.demo equals squirrely squirrely. So that's just like bartfizzer.ca equals squirrely squirrely. And then we can create our class. We say bartfizzer.demo.booger equals class, open squirrely. Ah, there it is. And Instead of class everything equal. between the open squirrely and the closed squirrely is copied and pasted from above. Okay. The only difference is that instead of saying class booger, we say bartifisser.demo.booger equals class. That's the only difference. So just like we have function say booger or const say booger equals function. Right, right. That's actually So everything clean else now. is identical. I copied and pasted. I just deleted the comments to make it shorter. Okay. And when you execute it, you can now say my booger equals new bartifisser.demo.booger bright green console.log my string, And it prints out a bright green booger. Do you giggle when you write that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I'm trying to, I, I was sort of trying to decide how gross to be, and I decided that red boogers were a no-no. Ew. Ew. See? You know, anybody who comes into this show in the middle is going to really wonder where this all came from. <laughs> I think it's a tradition now. If we don't talk about boogers, it's not programming by stealth. Exactly. <laughs> Part of me thinks we should redo the logo so the little ninja yeah. has like a runny nose. <laughs> Don't tempt me, Bart. <laughs> a small part of me, and the part of me that's never going to replace the logo, but a small part of me has that thought on a regular basis. I don't basis. know, Bart. I recreated the logo using Affinity Designer, so I could do it for just this show where you have a cold. <laughs> Actually, if we ever end up publishing a show on April 1st... That would be a good one. Oh, be a good one. Note to self. <laughs> Try arrange it so that April 1st falls on the day we want to record. <laughs> okay, I'll work on that. Okay, so perhaps not surprisingly, your homework or your challenge is to take my previous solution as your starting point or your own code, I don't actually mind which, and convert both the prototype and the test suite to classes as appropriate and throw in some arrow functions. There are a whole bunch of places where arrow functions make the code shorter and easier to read, hundreds of them, but they're optional. And there are a few places where arrow functions remove the need for this const self equals this nonsense. And I really want you to do those hmm. because that is, that, okay. is where, that is what arrow functions are really for. Using it to shorten your code is nice. Using it to avoid this faffing around with self equals this, that's the point of them. So that's the ones I really want you to do. And then I want you to convert our ugly prototype into classes. Ah, okay. So we have two prototypes, bartifisit.ca.cell and bartifisit.ca.automaton. So both of those should become class. And at the moment, everything inside that self-executing anonymous function just runs one into the other. You can't easily see where one starts and one finishes, apart from the fact that I chose to put a gigantic comment three lines <laughs> high between the two so that I can see the difference when I scroll. Uh, when we're finished, good. we'll have a collapsible plus minus if you have a good text editor that allows you to collapse away each product or each class 
uh-huh. one by one. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. I just wish Code Runner so, did collapsing. It's the one thing it's missing. Oh, that is a pity. I have to flip back and forth with Adam. I like Adam's collapsing, but I don't like the other stuff. So back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, yeah, there is no such thing as a perfect editor. This is why I always have like five of them installed at least. Yeah. Just yeah. thinking. So your average week, right, for me, I'm just actually thinking through my average week. Text edit. I still have it open all the time because if I just want to jot something down, I use text edit a lot of the time. You know, I, I need to get the clipboard out of bloody rich text into plain text, paste it into text edit, copy it again. It's mm-hmm. now plain text. I have something called Memo that's a sticky app that syncs across my Mac. So in theory, I should be using that instead of text edit. But you know something? I still use text edit a lot. <laughs> then I use text wrangler for SSHing into servers and editing config files because I can just SSH straight from within the editor. So it's just I'm opening the remote file in my GUI. It's just so much nicer than VIing all of my config files. So I'm always me, in text. Let me stop you for Sorry, a minute. BB edit. BB edit. edit. That's well. what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, I've, I used BB edit this week. For the same exact reason to uh, to open something directly from my web server, and I use text edit not quite for the same reason, but close. Yeah. Then I always use Code Runner when what I basically want is a better version of the console and the browser. So when I'm writing our code snippets for these shows, I run mm-hmm. them because I know I make typos. Right. If I didn't run them, the show notes would be full of garbage code. So I type them in Code Runner and run them and make sure they actually run, and then I copy and paste them into the show notes. So Code Runner is always open. Then for my real work, when I'm actually doing heavy lifting, actual programming, it's Komodo Edit 11 these days, gets the job. But when I just need to quickly open a file, but I want syntax highlighting, then I use uh, Smoltron. And sometimes, just for the heck of it, I'll open Atom again because I'm, I'm still in two minds whether Atom is going to replace Smoltron. I and that's Smoltron just what I did time. last Maybe week. Maybe I'll add that back in. <laughs> you know, so, I mean... And the chances are, this time next year, there'll be a few other editors in the mix, and I'll have changed my mind on something. Like it's There is no such thing as a perfect editor. I have Sublime installed as well, but I don't find myself using that. By the way, did you notice when I was talking over in the NoSilicast about doing regex uh, that I uh, I used Patterns, and Patterns is actually written by the same uh, guy who did Code Runner by Nikolai Krill. Oh, I did remember you saying that. I remember going, oh. No so wonder he's it's good, good. He's our people. Yeah. That's the one. Uh, Patterns was the one that Helma found for us. So, yeah, very fun. Definitely good stuff. Good developer. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny. I, it bothers me when I use so many different text editors. But one of the other things it does for me is it makes it a different context. So if I have this thing open in Atom and I have this thing over here open in Code Runner, I can tell, oh, that's Bart's previous example that I don't want to I don't want to break that yeah. one because I'm doing a new one and I may mess it up. And I may need to go get that again. So I keep it in a different text editor. Actually, that's the other thing. So if I'm editing a project that has PHP code and JavaScript code, I will perhaps use one editor for the PHP and one for the JavaScript so that I don't. And in fact, I'll choose the ones that look really different to each other. So if it's white on black, it's PHP. And if it's black on white, it's it's JavaScript or something oh, like that. Because otherwise, if you're writing in two languages at once, <laughs> you are going to break yourself. You haven't got a chance. Well, you know, and you brought up the idea of using text edit to make sure that you had uh, plain text. I had that exact problem this week. I was working on some CSS uh, classes that I'd put in that um, that Helma had helped me with. Mm-hmm. And I was taking notes and I keep a lot of my notes in Keep It 
and uh, by Steve Harris from Reinvented, Reinvented Software. And it's it's great. And it's got two different kinds of notes you can make. There's rich text and non-rich text, uh, plain text. Mm. And I wasn't paying attention. And I was editing in the rich text editor. And I put the stuff back and it all went kablooey. I mean, it was a big fat mess. Mm. And, but I couldn't see the problem. And so I was I was in a huge hurry. And I just wrote to Helma and I said, Helma, just tell me how to fix it. Don't teach me. Just tell me how to fix it. And she said, well, this is all out of order. You've got like your fig caption is outside of the figure and it has to be inside the figure and i'm looking at the html and it is inside the figure i'm like well how do i fix uh-huh. that if the if the the uh, source code is completely different from what i'm writing and all of a sudden i got the idea i said I, I wonder if i've got gremlins in there so i grabbed all the code pasted it into bb edit and said yep. get rid of editor. get rid but it also has uh, zap gremlins I told it get rid of all the gremlins, which of course, when it got rid of the gremlins, it smashed a bunch of stuff together that should have been spaces. They weren't real spaces, so I had to go back and fix that. But then when I pasted it back in, it went blink, and it was all fine. Huh? So I used twelve yeah. text editors too. Yeah, some of them correctly. <laughs> so I'm going to tease you a bit for the next show. So okay. the class keyword, I think you'll agree, the class keyword is already cool. Right? Yeah, swell. That was a lot easier to understand than the bloody prototype syntax we've been using. I I hope you agree. And may, you may not agree yet, but when you do a bit of practice with it, I, I think you'll, you'll soon realize that you're doing a lot less typing and you can scroll through and understand what the bleep is going on. I feel a oh, little which bit is like the constructor, you made me... The one named constructor. I feel like you made me climb a mountain when right around the corner was an elevator. <laughs> but remember, ESX wasn't ready. I, oh, I oh. procrastinated so much on whether or not to just jump in, but I didn't want to start by saying, so we're going to learn some stuff that isn't going to work in most of your browsers. <laughs> That didn't seem like programming by stealth. That sort of felt like bludgeoning you over the head. Yeah, I suppose so. So it made me cranky because I really wanted not to have to teach you the horrible way, but I had no choice. All right. So the class keyword on its own is already pretty good. Um, And it allows us to define prototypes in a sane and sensible way. But there is, we have, so defining a prototype, which is just a JavaScript word for a class, that is very, 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 very basic object-oriented programming. So we are defining our own type of object, right? So a booger with a capital B is a type of object, and we have defined what it means to be a booger. But that is only the tip of the object-oriented iceberg. There is a word which I have been studiously avoiding bringing into this conversation, but which every programmer who ever does object orientation soon gets to know, and perhaps loathes, but I think you should love it. The word is polymorphism. Okay. And it is possible using the old-fashioned JavaScript syntax to do polymorphism. But if you think normal prototypes look weird in JavaScript, polymorphic prototypes are absolutely squirrel-poo crazy in JavaScript. (laughs) Okay. You're going to tell us what that word means yet? No. (laughs) That's for next week. (laughs) So I now, because classes have been added to JavaScript, now I can tell you about polymorphism. Now I can explain to you why it is earth-shatteringly change your view of the universe amazing. But I just, I didn't want to do it with the old syntax because I would have just broken the audience and driven you all away. You would have all just sodded off. But now, just like the word, the keyword class has replaced a whole bunch of icky code, the one keyword extends just solves just about everything. And anyone listening here who has been a PHP programmer or a C programmer or a C++ programmer or a Java programmer, you've just gone extends. Oh, hallelujah, thank goodness. I'm so glad that went along with the magic word class. 
Okay, so Dorothy's all happy and going to tease me when I see her tomorrow. Great. Yes. <laughs> so we are we are going to finally get into true object orientation, and I'm hoping that it will become it, it's a whole new way of thinking. Polymorphism is just a whole different way of thinking. And it's a good way of thinking. It's a way of writing code that's in line with how the real world works. And it's how my brain works. So I, I'm always thinking. And it's it's actually been very limiting not being able to be polymorphic <laughs> while writing these. So I, I'm really looking forward to it next time. So that's basically what we've been leading up to at all this ES6 stuff. All right. And then we're finished. That, that, that's it then in ES6. Then we can get back to... We start ES7? Playing... What do we do next? Wait, no. So we we were we learned about forms... And then we did a few really simple ones, but we haven't made a particularly powerful UI yet for our cellular automata. Mm. We need to improve that UI so that we end up with something that really gives a rich interaction to the users. So I want to go back and finish our cellular automata, our game of life game, so that it is actually human friendly. And then when that's all done, then I think it's time to move on to something actually new. And I haven't I, I have three potential ideas in mind that I haven't quite chosen yet. So I don't know what the answer is because I haven't decided yet. But okay. then we'll come on to something new, new. I really like the uh, the UI parts of these lessons. Those are those seem to resonate to me. It, it's kind of funny because Dorothy and I kind of go in the opposite direction. She didn't like the UI stuff as much as the the hardcore coding part of the uh, of the prototypes and such. So it's it's fun. I just to- had an idea. What? We have an audience which contains people, and those people have the ability to type and stuff. <laughs> How interested are you as an audience? Now, we are definitely going to go back to our cellular automata. We are definitely going to write a rich user interface. So we're definitely going to do more of the GUI stuff so that we get more practice at that. But when that's done, one of the things on my list that I, I'm very, very tempted to do is to learn how to use JavaScript on the command line to create our own command line apps. Hmm. So that you could write, say, a command, you know, so you have xkpasswd is a, is a command line app written in Perl. But we could write something like that in JavaScript so that we hmm. could simply say name of our app, enter, and it will do something. Okay. And so is that something that you and or the audience would be interested in learning how to do? So right up until now, we've been playing in the browser, but JavaScript has many homes. Oh. And one of those homes is that we can, through the magic of Node.js, we can write command line apps using JavaScript. Hmm. That sounds kind of fun. Because we talk a lot about the the web interface stuff, but we don't actually get to do it that often. You know, it's it's a long time in between stuff like that. But if we could write something small and bite-sized that we could do at the command line, that'd be really fun to me. Also, the the reason I like the command line stuff is because in the real world, you tend to have small itches that need scratching, mm-hmm. and they tend to be what you tend to end up with is some sort of automator action that calls a shell script. Yeah, which is a command line app. Right. So if you know how to write your command line stuff in JavaScript, you have suddenly developed the ability to fix an infinity of little niggles. And I don't know what they are, and you don't know what they are. I mean, I solve little problems for myself all the time, as and when they come up. And right now. I, this series hasn't given you any new tools to do that kind of thing. Whereas if we learn how to work on the command line, I think that is going to be really empowering for goodness only knows what problems <laughs> you're going to want to solve. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, my first thought is to write something that does maybe a little bit of the kind of stuff that Hazel does. Oh, yeah. 
Like, okay, I want to write a a little command line app that says, uh, you know, do something with stuff you find in this folder according to such rules. Would that be the kind of thing? Yeah, that'd be be a for of loop, actually. Mm -hmm. So there are APIs for iterating over a directory. So you simply say for of, you know, for open bracket dollar my file. So open bracket const my file of name of directory, basically. You can iterate over directories. Are you saying that's a cool idea? I'm saying it's a very cool idea. So basically, okay. yeah, w- uh, what we have been learning is entirely applicable to the kinds of things you're describing there. It, you know, looping through a whole folder to look for something or looping through a whole folder to find only certain things and then doing something to them. Mm. Um, there's a, basically, the, the Node API allows you to create files, delete files, move files, rename files, l- find files, loop over files, you name it, you can do yeah. it. So. Yeah. And that's just the files. I mean, you can do anything else too. Um, I, I'll give an example. So something I'm working on right now is the reason this is on my mind. I write show notes for security bits. Mm-hmm. And those show notes contain one or two links. When I say one or two links, I mean they contain lots and lots and lots of links. They're pretty much all link. Mm-hmm. So what I want to be able to do is to copy a URL and then have some code run, which fetches the website in the background, strips the title of the page out of the actual website, uses that to build a link, then it strips the URL, finds the domain part, and then sticks it onto the end of the link so you can see where it came from. So that I just in one magic go, go from link, from a URL in the, in the clipboard, to title of page, minus sign, domain, dot, dot, dot. So as I, I a already have link. about 90% of that. Remember the ones that I wrote? That I went and stole right. code to do, but I didn't do it in JavaScript. Yeah, I did it in JavaScript. I, yeah, I did it in, uh, well, I stole it in Al- AppleScript. <laughs> yeah, and that sort of, seeing your AppleScript made me go, I can do this in Node, right? So I did. Yeah, okay. And it just sort of occurred to me that we now know enough JavaScript that there's so little more. What we just need is the final piece that says, and this is the API that lets JavaScript talk to the file system. And this is the API that lets JavaScript fetch a web page. And it is just like an API. It's basically get this URL and you will get back a string that is all the URL, that is all the HTML. Uh-huh. And there is a command line equivalent of jQuery that lets you find the title tag and suck out its text. Mm. Find all the H1s oh. and suck out their text. Because so on you some websites... You don't even websites, have to use regex to do it. They already wrote it up for you. Exactly. No icky regexes. You just simply say, give me the title of the page. Don't so it's basically a little bit of JavaScript that says, go regex. fetch this URL. Don't be maligning regex. I love regex now. <laughs> Someday you're going to say the same about me naming functions the same as arguments. Uh, yeah, you'd be holding your breath right there, Bart. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember how much you didn't believe me about regexes and how much of a convert you are now. Yeah. You do love your regexes, which makes me extremely happy. I do. I do. I mean, I'm not saying I'm great at them, but I get it and I get why they're cool. And I was hoping I had an excuse to use them. And now you tell me there's an API to it. Jeez. Well, no, but you still need them actually, because some websites stick the name of the website into the end of the bloody title. Mm. So you need to use a regex to strip that back out. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. Yeah. A lot of fun to be had. That's for sure. Yeah. So as I say, that was a long way of saying, listeners, are you interested in moving to the command line in a few months' time? And if the answer is yes, let Alison or myself know on Twitter or by leaving a comment on the blog post or Google Plus you know, or Facebook. Whatever, whatever you use for communicating with us. Yep. All right. This Well, this was fun, Bart. I think you did Excellent. just fine with the head cold. Oh, I, I, I need a bigger cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was great, Bart. I had a lot of fun.
Okay, well, that's good. Uh, this is our last time talking. Is it our last time talking this year? I think so, unless you want to do uh, uh, Security Bits ne- or want to do PBS next week, which we uh, I don't have a guest, but mostly because it's a crazy week with New Year's and Christmas and all that. I'll have a think about that off air. I was sort of cleaning out next week to do all of the other tasks I've been putting off. <laughs> all right. I'm getting my podcasting out of the way this week. Well, we'll let um, you guys have a think about it because the answer might just be yes because I have most of the show notes for next week written already and most of the homework for next week done too. Ah, okay. All right. So, yeah. Well, good. Anyway, this was fun. I wanted to say to all of our listeners enjoy the holidays, celebrate, have fun, enjoy yourselves. And in the new year, or maybe before the new year, but anyway, after after this whole festivist thing that happens on the 25th of December, we will talk to you again. And uh, was, oh, what show am I on? Until then, happy computing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads, it's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal, or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at PodFeet or email me at allison at PodFeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to PodFeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at PodFeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.